Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a well-known independent rapper. He has clocked up hundreds of millions, if not billions of views online. He is a master on the microphone. He is from Kansas City, Missouri, out in the USA. And this is the one and only Mac Lethal. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, Zuby. I appreciate it. Uh, definitely a uh, big congratulations on your success and, and building your empire, my friend. Thank you very much, bro. Likewise. So I've done a real brief intro there, man. But for people who are not familiar with you or your music and what you do, can you give people a little bit of an intro? Yeah, um, I fell in love with rapping uh, very early on in my life in middle school. And I won't give the whole autobiography, but I... Uh, I started freestyling in high school and writing raps, and um, I was never a great student. I always was more creative and artistic, and I just didn't kind of fit in traditional schooling. So uh, I would spend a lot of my time at school writing raps, learning how to rap. And then uh, I started freestyle battling in the late 90s and early 2000s. I was a big battler. And then I started making the transition to recorded music. Um, in the late 2000s, over the past few years, I've been all about pushing creative boundaries with uh, social media and YouTube and the internet and figuring out creative ways to use uh, the expression of rap to deliver my message or to communicate with people. So 
a lot of YouTube, a lot of touring, a lot of making albums and always being independent has been the name of my game. And from the Midwest, always. I've also written a best-selling novel, had a television show. So I've done uh, quite a few things. That's dope, man. There's a lot that we can get into there. But how did you first get into hip-hop? I mean, who influenced you or what motivated you to get into rapping and then battling and everything like that? How did that even start? The early years for me um, was honestly me being a kid and seeing... Public Enemy, Eric B. and Rakim, KRS-One, De La Soul on MTV. I would watch Yo! MTV Raps. And I was, a, you know, a white kid from the Midwest, but I was very drawn to this sound, uh, this urban sound. That's the sound that a lot of people, or the way a lot of people like to describe it. Um, I just liked the attitude. It wasn't singing. It was people talking. And I felt more connected to the the message. I liked the the edginess and the aggressiveness of it. And it wasn't some guy with, you know, hairspray in his hair and a leather suit on singing about some girl. It was, you know, people rapping about politics or uh, I just like the sound of rap. I'm drawn to it more. I love music. I love hearing people singing, uh, but rapping is is just something I've always been drawn to. And it's it's my first love. And it's still one of the most important pieces of my entire life is uh, hip hop. That's awesome, man. And how did you go about the transition to um, a battle rapper to someone who started making songs and then putting out albums and touring and everything like that? How did you go about that transition? Because it's a transition that a lot of people aren't able to do. Um, As far as I'm concerned, I think that hip hop song making and songwriting is actually a very, very different art to battle rapping. Like I've never, I've never been a battle rapper myself and I admire it and I admire the skills, but I think that it's uh, I I think it's a whole different art. I think freestyling and battle rapping is, is a pretty different art to song making. Um, And I think that you get a lot of rappers who say are very successful in the mainstream or commercially in terms of making songs and making hit records and stuff like that but they'd probably be really bad at battle rapping. And then you also get a lot of battle rappers who aren't really able to make a song. Like they kind of get stuck in that battle mode when, even when they go in the, on the mic, they're sort of still battling, I don't know, like an artificial opponent. So how did you go about that transition? So the, the thing about me was I started um, recording music and freestyling kind of at the same time I had this four track Um, I don't know if kids even know what four tracks are anymore, but we used to have these machines where you would put a cassette tape in it and it would have four different inputs and you could plug in a mic and press record and then have a beat playing into it. And then you could record yourself rapping to it. So I started making tapes in the basement and I would make these little like fun songs uh, where I would freestyle, but I would make up a chorus and, and it was, it was musical. Both of my parents were in folk bands and played instruments. So I grew up around music and singing and songwriting. Um, and I, I, I was always uh, kind of puzzled how I could get my message out there and how could I get attention. I'm never going to sign to a major label. I, I never felt like I was the type of person that a label would sign. I never felt like I would belong on MTV as some star or that I would make some sort of radio friendly sounding music. So I started thinking of alternate ways, creative ways that I could get exposure. And I said, well, what if I'm like, I battle 
and I go out and freestyle and I'll, I'll go and try to get on stage and, and freestyle and say a bunch of funny lines and make the crowd laugh. And then I'll go pass out my tapes or pass out my CDs. So I always used freestyling and battling as a vehicle to promote my music. Um, it was never a thing where I was in love with battling and freestyling and passionate about it. Like some people are like, there are a lot of battle rappers today where what they do is battle. They watch battles. I find most battles to be unwatchable. Honestly, when I came up, it was more about saying funny lines and clowning and being able to rock a crowd and battle in front of an audience or freestyle in front of an audience. But at the end of the day, the whole point for me was always getting exposure to my music. So I was just using it as a vehicle because I knew I would never have a radio song. I knew that I needed to do it myself, hand to hand, independently, uh, one fan at a time. So I just used as many different things as I could uh, to try to bring exposure to my art. That's interesting, man. I mean, it's in also interesting that you said that from the very beginning, you always thought, okay, I'm not going to have a radio hit. I don't want to be on a major label, etc. cetera. Um, I mean, I think nowadays that sort of attitude is becoming a little bit more prevalent, but I think at the time you started, it was always the dream of artists to, you know, being independent wasn't really a thing, right? People used to just say unsigned, which always suggests that you are trying to get a record deal. But with you, it sounds like you knew you wanted to be independent. You knew you wanted to stay independent and you didn't feel that the major label model was for you. Why do you think that is? I think that coming up um, in the late 90s, right when I started getting into the idea of making my own music, I heard of people like Atmosphere, uh, Company Flow, which is LP from Run the Jewels, old group, hieroglyphics, nonfiction. I started going on the internet when I was learning how to make four track tapes and make basement albums. I was reading about people on the internet that were doing it themselves. And you would always hear these, you know, uh, infamous stories of major label artists selling 10 million albums and only making $30, you know, and I was going, man, it, it was just kind of part of the ethos is, is we do this ourselves. I wanted to be in the underground and, and I, I, I always thought it was cooler to sell a hundred thousand albums hand to hand than it was to sell 10 million albums with the radio. I was always drawn to the idea of building it like a, a mom and pop store. I never wanted this to be the biggest, most mainstream thing. That's not my dream. A lot of people, you know, the, the, the word relevant is used a lot of times to describe, you see it on the internet all the time. This rapper is irrelevant. This rapper is more relevant. So-and-so used to be relevant. It was never about relevance to me. I don't want to be known in the mainstream. I want to be known to the people that care about my art. And that's just kind of what I saw coming up right when I started going like, you know, maybe I should try to rap as a career or maybe I should try to build this up uh, and, and, and try to have fans and maybe I should go for it. The people I, I started hearing about were doing it independently and signing to a major in the late 90s was kind of considered uncool, like secretly, like it was way cooler to be underground. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be I don't want to get, uh, you know, messed with by a major label or screwed over by a major label. I want to try to be. Uh, one of these cool independent guys that sells a hundred thousand copies hand to hand and makes all the profit. Like that was the other thing for me is 
when I crunched the numbers, if you sell 100,000 CDs, but you make $8 per CD, that's a lot more money than selling a million CDs and making eight cents per CD. Mm-hmm. I think if you crunch the number, I don't know. I'm not very good at math. <laughs> yeah, but, I think you're right. Yeah. So it was always just really, I, I'm drawn to the idea of, I like mom and pop businesses. I have always been attracted to small restaurants, people where you go in to eat at the restaurant and the owner is the person that's bringing you the food. I I like supporting local. I like indie. It's just always been something I've been drawn to. I didn't see it as a better option. It wasn't an option I was forced into. There's just a certain aesthetic to it that I like. And I like the fact that I can be creative, uh, control my creativity. I've never had to answer to anybody creatively. And that, Mm. that means a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, what you've done is what you've done over and accomplished over the years is phenomenal, man. So huge props for it. I mean, you've built up an audience independently all the way, you know, an audience up in the up in the millions now. And that's phenomenal. And I think that I mean, obviously, that's a testament to your to your skill and your hard work. But how have you how have you gone about doing that? Right. There is going to be someone who's watching this and maybe they're a rapper or they're a singer or they're an artist and they're up and coming and they're like, man, how how do I go from zero to having hundreds of thousands or millions of followers and subscribers and fans, et cetera? So I'd imagine that with you starting out in the 90s and then going up till 2020 now, the methods that you use have probably changed a lot over the years as the technology has changed. So can you talk us through that a little? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest keys to my success and the level of success that I've maintained, which is, is it's I've had viral hits. I've had things that get big on YouTube or get big on Facebook or I'll go on a tour and and open up for a group and I'll 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 have the best set of the night and sell a lot of merch. But to me, it, it, as important as those milestones of success have been, it's really been about just consistently trying to build the fan base one person at a time going, listen, if I can get a thousand people to watch this video, maybe five of them will stay with me for life. And that's who I focus on. I focus more on making content that I know that people will connect with and they'll go, I want to stay with this guy for life. And one of the best things to me is being 39 years old. And now when I do shows, I'll have fans come up and say, I've been listening to you for 13 years. I have been listening to you since this album came out. And I'll be like, man, that was in 2005. That to me has been a lot more important than trying to get the big hit or the big video. And while I've had those things, I think it's really more just been quietly being myself, being true to myself. And the true fans have slowly but surely connected with it. And I always try to reinvent myself. I always try to use whatever platform is popular at the time and figure out a creative way to get as much exposure as popular as as possible. But I'm not attributing my success to the big 40 million view videos I've had or the 20 million view videos I've had. That's not what I attribute to my success. Those things have gotten me attention and promotion. The things that people are drawn to with me are the ones that have 700,000 or 1 million. When I go to shows, 
and I perform, 90% of the people aren't there for the big YouTube gimmicky things I've done. They're there for the music that they hear on my albums. And I make the type of music where people want to grow old with me and stay with me for a long time. I don't have... I mean, I have some people that will, you know, maybe like me for a couple of years and then then vanish and whatever. Most of my fans, a lot of my true fans have been with me for a long time and will continue to be with me for a long time. So it's really just been about having people have an emotional attachment to what I do. I heard Jay-Z say that in an interview in the early 2000s, the most important thing you can do is not have a radio hit. It's have an emotional attachment to your fans or make stuff that your fans have an emotional attachment to. That's been a big recipe for my success is creating content that people connect to on an emotional level. Mm. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, I think a lot of the power in in what you do and what I try to do as well is to build a brand and an audience that that likes you, right? Not just isn't a fan of this one individual song or this one individual piece of content, but they like you in general. So even if you release a new album, even if it doesn't have, you know, a so-called hit song on it or whatever, it's just like, okay, cool. New Mac Lethal album. I'm going to check this out. So you mentioned Jay-Z earlier, like I'll buy a Jay-Z album just because it's Jay-Z. I don't need to hear the single. I don't need to hear something on the radio. I'm just like, cool, that's Jay-Z. I'm going to check it out, right? There's other artists like that for me. Tech Nine, cool. Tech Nine. I like Tech Nine. The, the album, I don't care about the single. I'm going to check out the album because that's one of my favorite rappers. So yep. I'm going to check it out. And I think that, you know, perhaps inadvertently, I think a lot of, um, I guess, I guess you could call it a mistake for the long term, but I think a lot of artists now, especially in this generation is, you know, they get, they'll get the, the one viral song, right? A song will go viral and they'll sort of have this moment where for a few months, everything is super hot, but people are fans of the song rather than necessarily fans of the artist. And if people are just a fan of the song, then they just come and go, right? Those are real. Those aren't real fans. They'll be with you while you're popping and while you're hot. But when the six month goes and there's a, you know, the next viral song is out there, they're, they're just gone because there's, um, you know, nothing has been built. And also because it happened so quickly, I think there's actually a big blessing in sort of being a more slow burn artist where, you know, we always want things to happen really quickly, but I think there's a lot of value in just cool. It's all been, it's been slow been going on for over a decade, you know, two decades plus. And so, you know, okay, I've got this whole body of work. People know what I'm about. People like me. And I don't know, to me, it's like having a proper foundation for a house, right? You can't just, sure. you know, blow on it and the whole thing falls down. Um, so tell, tell me a little yeah. bit about the, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to chime in like a, a couple of points. I, I really agree with what you just said strongly. I feel very passionately about it. Um, there are artists that you'll see, and I, I won't put anybody out there by name, but there's an artist right now that has one viral song, and he recently got this huge major label record deal. And if you go to his other videos and songs, they don't have very many views. They have like very average, even below average views. And this one song has like a hundred million views. And if you listen to the song, it's not even really this artist that makes the song. It's everything else that's happening around him. And this major label gave him a big contract. And I'm not going to put his name out there. I don't want to insult anybody. But you sit there and see things like that happen every day. And, and major labels make this mistake. And artists make this mistake all the time is 
they put too much faith into the big numbers that they see on the bottom of the YouTube screen. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that like, that's not a genuine connection. You're, you're, you don't have an app, an actual connection and you're just the flavor of the month. I mean, how many rappers come out anymore where they have the one big 70 million views on YouTube song. They're a smash that they're, they're, they're huge for about six months and then they disappear. The quicker it happens and the faster and bigger it blows up, the faster and quicker it's going to fade away. It's much better to have it be a slow roast, a, a slow build. I've built this fan base over two decades, one person at a time, responding to long emails, having an almost friendship with some of my fans. Those people aren't going to bail overnight. I don't have the big popular song. And even when I do, when I have something that's big, if something gets through and it starts popping off, I recently had this thing on Facebook, get like a hundred thousand likes and like 16 million views, like a couple of weeks ago. I don't put a lot of stock into that. Mm. I see the comments and, Oh, I love this guy. And Oh, I'm his biggest fan. No, you're not. You like the thing that is popping that uh, you're a prisoner of the moment too, but you're not who, I'm invested in on the long term. You're not a long term fan. I appreciate the views. I appreciate the people that share my stuff. But at the end of the day, those aren't the people that are going to pay my bills for the next couple of years and, and, and put food in my kids' stomachs over the next 20 years. I, it, it's all about the real fans and the real connection. And that's a much smaller, more boutique number for me. And I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with it. So I think you're right. I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah. What was that, um, out of curiosity, what was that video that went super viral on Facebook recently? So I had a, a, a video called A Rapper Dissed Me and I Bought Him a Bike. And it was this kid that wrote me this really mean message on Facebook. And I started communicating with him. He was trolling me and we started going back and forth in my inbox. And slowly but surely, he started exposing the fact that he was really struggling in his life and that he didn't have a car. He didn't have a way to get to his job. He has a son that he can't take care of because he can't find a job. And I decided, I said, look, I'm going to just document this and, and maybe even use it for a video, but I still think it's a good, genuine idea. And maybe there's a lesson uh, in it for people or for myself. So I decided to be the bigger person. And I just said, look, I don't care that you dissed me or you wrote all these messages that are super mean to me. I'm more worried about the fact that you're struggling as a person and that you can't afford to take care of your son and that you can't get a job. So I bought him a bike and I sent it to him. And when I sent him the bike, he videoed it and he sent me the video back and he wrote me this big apology letter and this big thank you letter. And I made a song about it and we made this, it's a very endearing, wholesome video. And it has like 600,000 views on YouTube, but on Facebook, it, it smashed pretty hard. And a lot of people really connected with it. And there's just a very human moment in it. And I don't attribute that to me. I don't attribute that to him. It's just the moment. And we documented it and it happened and a lot of people liked it. Um, and as, as beautiful as a moment it was, and as much I'm, I'm glad that I could contribute to his life and we both rose above I still don't look at that as some life-changing moment in my career. It got a lot of views. I'm glad people loved it, but I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into that. And that's never what it was about. It was never about that. It was just like, how can I be a good person? It's every day with me. And I think you're the same way. I'm always, I hit a wall or I hit a challenge or a fork in the road. And I go like, 
how can I rise above and be the best version of me right now in this situation? I'm not always perfect, but when I can, I try to be a, a, a human being that cares about my fellow human being and take care of them in a way and try to elevate situations when I can. And that's what it was. <clears throat> how, do you, how do you balance it out? Because there's always something difficult when you, if you have a strong personal connection with your audience or with individuals in your audience, but then you've also got large and growing audience. How do you sort of balance your sanity? This is something that I, I'm still trying to work out because stuff has grown for me a lot over the past year, particularly. And it's sort of like not wanting to get to the stage where you're sort of just like aloof and you're ignoring everybody. And it seems like you don't respond to anything or you don't respond to any messages or comments or whatever. But then at the same time, of course, like you can't respond to You can't reply to every comment. You can't reply to every message and all of that. But how do you, for you, how do you find the right balance? Is there something particular or do you just kind of work it out as you go? I work it out as I go. I wish that there was a, a, a recipe that I had dialed in or a strategy that I had dialed in, but it's, it's, it, it's, it would be, I would be neglecting not only my own personal life and my own personal health, but I have two children. I have a wife and we have property and things that we have to take care of. And there's just moments where I don't have the energy for it. And at some point, you just have to go, if you are sacrificing your health or just good feelings, I cut it off at good feelings. When I'm on the internet engaging with fans or doing the social media thing and I start feeling negative, I feel a negative turn and it can pretty much happen on a daily basis. That's usually when I cut it off. And sometimes I'll even stay away from it for a couple of days. People just have to accept that I can't respond to every message. I have 3 million subs on YouTube, a million on Facebook, 200,000 almost on Instagram. It's impossible for me to, to respond to all of them. And I've also created this video series where people will write lyrics and I'll take it and kind of rewrite it and rap the song for them. So I have a separate email box for that and it has 40,000 emails in it and, and it hasn't even been a year. I can't respond and I will get messages from people Will they'll write me a very heartfelt, like long letter, like this long and I won't respond. And then they'll immediately turn and start, you know, F you and, and you don't respond to your fans. And it's just, you can't please everybody. Yeah. And so I put me first, my kids are first, my wife is first. And then, but when it comes to my fans and, and, and my own well-being. It's always me first. And if people are going to stop being a fan, if people are going to stop connecting with me or liking my stuff or supporting me because I won't engage with them when they want me to, then I'm not for them. And that's, you, you can't sacrifice even the, the single second of your happiness. It's just not worth it. If you're sitting there on Twitter, staring at your phone, going, oh, this, I've just been looking at this all day and I just, it, it, it I, I feel bad and I'm starting to feel the, the, the bad feelings kick in, cut it off, go outside, lift, sunshine, play with your dog, whatever it is. You just got to know when to draw the line. And I know it's hard. And I know your Twitter is popping. So you probably have. just. <laughs> so I know, man, I know it, it's, it's just a delicate balance, but you got to do what's right for you. Just put yourself first. Always, always put yourself first. Awesome, man. 
And with that, leading on from that, how do you um, how do you manage your creative time? Like, how much time do you spend writing and creating raps and creating music? Because the stuff you put out there, I mean, it's it's intricate, right? It's not just some mumble rap with you know very basic lyrics, or you know, it's uh, it's complicated stuff. It, it's stuff that requires a lot of writing time, I imagine, rehearsal time, etc. So, how do you balance that out with the social media and with the business stuff and with the family stuff and with being able to go to the gym and train and all those kind of things. How, what, what's your sort of schedule look like? So pretty much at six in the morning, every day I wake up, I'll kind of write out my day. I'll have, I have multiple marker boards where I'll kind of, this is today. So today, these are the ideas that I want to work on today. And uh, at six in the morning, I'll write out my day. I'll, I'll get in my email inbox to see any like reminders. Like I knew we had our podcast today. So I had, I, I have a, the morning before I work. Um, I usually do like, you know, interviews or emails or just make sure all the business is straight. And then I sit down and I'll look at Twitter to make sure no celebrities died or make sure nothing crazy is happening in the world. But then usually with social media that's a tr- it's a slippery slope man you start scrolling and, and and you're before you know it you're not working anymore you are distracted so i will put my phone i have this little time lock safe back there i don't know if this is something you would be interested in or need i know i need it i have a a, a time lock safe i put my phone in it and i'll put it in there at about 9 10 in the morning and I'll put it in there till 6 p.m. So I don't look at it until 6 p.m. I can't get it out. You can't take the batteries out. It's in there. Then I sit down and until 5, 6 p.m. when I need to go get my kids from uh, the after school program that they're in, I will sit down and I will chip away and work because like you said, it takes a while. There's a lot of, I, I'm, I'm a slow writer. I'll write like four lines and I have to sit there and think about it for a while or I'll be setting up a shot, whatever it is. But I pretty much put eight, nine hours in. Then I go get my kids. All social media at 5 p.m., social media emails, everything is off from 5, 6 p.m. until um, 8 p.m. when they go to bed. Then 8 p.m., I train. Once they go to bed, immediately down into my home gym to lift. Um, My gym is closed right now, so I can't go to the gym. I'll go to jujitsu. Um, after the kids are asleep, sometimes I do that in the morning, depending on what day it is. So sometimes I train early in the morning, but every day that isn't Sunday, depending on how my body feels, I will gauge what workout I like to do. I like to lift four times a week, do jujitsu two times a week. And on recovery days or days where I'm not feeling as strong, or if I have a heavy lifting session, I'll do a little yoga. And then Sundays, I don't do anything. Sunday is my day where it's just family, email, computer, everything off. Me and the family, we go out, we have brunch, we go to the park, whatever it is. So I try to work every day for about 10 hours. After I train sometimes at night, um, when my wife and my kids are in bed and the exercising and everything is done, I've lifted, I've done jujitsu, whatever it is. If I still feel like I have some work to do, I'll come downstairs back to the studio and I'll work for a couple of hours. But that's really dangerous for me because when I start looking at the computer and start getting going and Instagram and Twitter and I'm doing all that, I look and it's like, oh, I need to be in bed in about 10 minutes and then I'll, 10 more minutes before I know it, I'm uh, an hour past my bedtime and then I'm, I'm not getting good sleep and then I'm laying in bed and my brain won't shut off. I try to be very methodical with every day and, and try to do the exact same thing pretty much every day and keep everything dialed in 
and regimented. It, it, it seems to be what works the best for me. Awesome. I don't know about you. You do the same kind of thing? Man, I, I'm, again, I'm still, I'm still working on it. Um, you know, I think I've, I've got a decent schedule. But um, with me, because I do a lot of things as well, right? So, of course, I've got, I've got this podcast. Um, and, you know, of course, I got my music. I also do coaching. I've got my ebook and stuff. So with me, what, what I tend to do is I, I dedicate each day to a different thing. So I'll have like, so I, I have long periods where I'm not in music mode at all. With me, it's a, it's a little bit tricky, but I find that what I try not to do is sort of switch between things too much. So today, for example, as we're recording this, today is mostly dedicated to interviews and podcasts. So I'm kind of in that frame of mind. I'm in conversation mode. I'm not really in artistic, creative mode. I'm not really in business mode. I'm just in conversational mode. So I'm doing, I'm recording podcasts today. I've had a couple of interviews and stuff like that. And then I'll have another day where it's like, okay, you know what? Today I want to promote my fitness book. So the whole day I spend in the mode of, right, I'm going to post some reviews. I'm going to post some before and after photos across my social medias. Maybe I'll run a sale. I'll do this. I'll do that. And for me, that works better than trying to, okay, have a day where I spend two hours on music and two hours on this and two hours. By the time like my brain switches between them, I've already sort of sure. wasted, wasted an hour each time. So I'm still figuring it out, but um, that's why I, partly why I wanted to know the question. Why, <laughs> sorry, why I wanted to ask that question just to be like, man, this guy's putting out a lot of content and he's putting out a lot of music and a lot of stuff. So what's that schedule have- looking like? You have, are you, I, I don't know. Are you married kids? Do you have either of those things? No, not yet. Not yet, but okay. they will, they will come and I'm aware of that. So <laughs> see, see, yeah, man, that's when, and I'm not going to say it gets worse. It actually, I would say it refocuses your life to the point where you kind of have to be accountable for every minute. And it sounds like you're almost, you're already very disciplined and, and work hard when kids come all of the sudden, you never have enough time for anything. And, and it actually sounds like you kind of feel like that already. So uh, I, I feel sorry for you when the kids come, especially when you have all five kids, man, you're going to have no time. But it's, it's tough, man. Like when my son came, I, it was such a shock to me because I used to be able to stay up until four o'clock in the morning. And oh, I think I'll go work out at you know, we have 24 hour fitness, it'd be three in the morning, I'd go lift weights. And it's just not how it works anymore. Because I want to wake up every day before my kids, I want to be there when they wake up. And I want to be there until they go to school. I want to know that every moment that they were here, I was present. And then when they're home from school, I want to know that every moment until they go to sleep, I was present. It's not a thing where and I'll do it sometimes if I'm super busy. But if my kids are in the house, I'm not over here on the other side of the house working and ignoring them. I'm spending my time with them. So it's all about balancing time. But the one thing I'll tell you, and and this is why you're already ahead, more ahead of 90% of people. And you know this, especially it's it's the same with fitness. It's the same with music. It's the same with anything. 90% of people don't have the work ethic to get up and try. So the fact that you're even trying to figure out how to balance your time when you have all the time in the world right now, you don't have kids, you don't have a wife. The fact that you're even worried about your time and worried about how you, you uh, employ your work ethic, you're already ahead of 90% of people. Most people don't have the work ethic. Most people have no interest in waking up every day and grinding and just dusting their hands off, grabbing the shovel and digging. They, they don't want to do it. That's, that's 90% of it. You can, you, there are so many people that are successful and the only reason that they're, they're successful is because they got out of bed and they went and did it. 
And the super talented guy, he's at home on the couch, looking at his phone, dealing with his girlfriend, watching a movie, smoking weed all day. And he's not even putting in the work. So it, it, man, as long as you put in the work, good things will happen. It's, it's, it's super hyperbolic to say it's a cliche, but man, it's so true. Work grinding is everything. Most people aren't going to put the work in. So if you put the work in, I see you every day with your book. It's, it's always funny to watch. I'll kind of hover over it. You'll say 37 copies available at this price. And then five minutes will go by and it'll say 31. It's like, man, you just sold six books. Like (laughs) crazy. Like in real time, you're showing your fans how to hustle. Like I'm, I'm learning from you. I'm like, look at this dude. He's out here hustling. Like he's, he's doing his thing. My book, the book that I came out with was, was published by a publisher and I got a big deal for it and it got optioned into a TV show that never got made. Um, that's another story. But I'm tied up in a book deal right now, so I can't come out with the self-published book and I, I'm jealous. Like That's such a valuable asset to have and it's such a, I'm sure that you've made a good amount of money off of it. Like I'm, I see you sell them every day, so yeah. it has to be a profitable grind for you. Yeah, most definitely, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, ma- I'm making more off the book than off than off my music these days, which That's is uh, which is man. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> so it's <laughs> probably part of why you see me pushing it so hard. But you know, it's helping a lot of people. I put it out there just as a you know as an ebook, thinking okay, I had no plans on making physical copies, had no plans of making an audio book. But then you know, more and more people started buying it. I started people you know, people asking, oh, can you do a paperback version? Can you do an audio book? You know, make sure you record it yourself, etc. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, if people want it and it's helping people and it's getting good reviews, then, you know, let, let me, let me keep doing this. Um, so and how so, gratifying, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, how gratifying is that for you knowing that it's not just a book where you wrote some, you know, something about yourself or it's, it's a book that is transformative for people's lives. Yeah. I see the people you retweet where they have before and after photos. That's where it's not about money anymore. That's why we do this, right? Like that has to hit you every single time you get a letter like that. You're like, man, that person could have ended up with high cholesterol and had a heart attack or something. And I potentially sent them on another path with my uh, strong advice book, right? Yeah. That has to feel good for you. Man, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's, it's why I became a musician, right? It was always about, you know, I, that's why I always laugh when people think like I became a rapper to, you know, make money. I mean, I was <laughs> up until 2019, 2019 was the first year I made more money as a rapper and an entrepreneur than I did, you know, since 2011 when I first went full time. So, I mean, I'm I'm an Oxford University graduate. I used to be a management consultant. So from like my early 20s, I was I was on my path to, you know, climb that corporate ladder and, you know, reach like a management position or whatever. And I was like, you know what, this is not my calling. This is not the way I'm going to have like a huge impact on the world and change people's lives for the better, et cetera. And so I'm going to, you know, be a rapper. And I was already a rapper, but it was like, let me take this thing seriously. Let me do this full time. And then I used to just 100% focus on that. And then in 2018, I just started, um, you know, I st- as, you've, as you've seen, right, I just started doing a little more social commentary and, you know, kind of wading into certain things and lending my voice to certain things because I wasn't really seeing my views being represented out there. And lo and behold, I found like, oh, wow, okay, people are really resonating that's when my audience really started growing more. It was like, oh, wow, okay, people are just interested in my views on the world and my views on different topics. And obviously, I had that video go viral with the deadlift. And then I, I you know, I evolved that into going on Joe Rogan and uh, Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens on Sky News, Fox News, BBC, like all these different platforms. Um, 
And I was like, wow, okay, this is, um, initially I was quite resistant because I didn't want to, I didn't want to distract away from my music. You know, I was like, I don't, I'm a rapper. This is my main thing. I don't want to become this like super political guy or like this commentator or whatever. And then I just realized, you know what, let me just put out different stuff. Let me do this. Let me, let me write. Why don't I, I'm into fitness. Why don't I write a fitness book? Right. Um, I can do this. Why don't I do that? And I just was like, now I'm just like putting stuff out there. And it's like, you know what? People can pick and choose what they like. If someone is purely interested in my music, that's totally fine. I've got people who follow me who, you know, they're not even fans of, they're not even fans of rap and hip hop, but they like my commentary or they like my fitness advice or they like this. Or the, and I'm like, you know what? As long as you're inside the house, I don't really care what door you come through, but let me not leave stuff on Good the table. Yeah. You know, let me just put my stuff out there and people can pick and choose what they like. And let me not try to control, let me not try to control what it is that people like. You know, I'm sure you put out videos and you might think, okay, you might think, okay, this is the one that I sort of, you sort of want people to pay attention to, or that's the one you're most proud of. But then people are like, oh no, but I like this one. You know, it's never the one you want. It's never <laughs> the, it's the thing that you put all your stock in where you put all the eggs in the basket and you're like, all right, here it is. It's never that one. It's always the one that you're just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like I tweeted something about going to the gym six days a week. And, and I, I, I tweeted it. It was, I go to the gym six days a week. I film it zero times a week. I realized this is an insane concept in 2020. I said that. And then I left. And then I came back a couple hours later and Rogan had retweeted it. And it had like 35,000 retweets. And I'm like, I didn't even like, I, I didn't even, I, I figured like five people would see it and just swipe past it. But the stuff where I'm like, Ooh, this tweet's going to get them. And I put it on there. It's never, <laughs> it, that'll get like, you know, a hundred likes or something like that. It's never the one that you think and same with YouTube. Like I have found that the stuff you invest so much into, it never pans out like that. People are going to like what they like. And like you said, as long as they're in the house, man, like I wrote a book and um, I will do shows where I'll be in Denver, Colorado, and someone will show up to the show and be like, I don't listen to your music. I like your book. I'm like, you came to a concert. Like, I'm not performing the book. I'm doing music. And they're like, no, I know. I, but I like you. I wanted to get the book signed. I wanted to take a picture and I wanted to support because I love your book and they'll bring the book and I'll sign it. And you realize this is the, the, one of the points you made very early on. It's just as long as they like you, yeah. who cares? I'm not going to sit there and worry about what thing that they like. And like you said, try to control every single thing that each fan gravitates to. I'm going to put the things out there that I feel. And as long as people connect to them and the, the fan base grows and I'm helping more people, great. That's great. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. That's what we're here for. 100%. Tell us a little bit more about the book, man. What's the, what's the book all about? And when did you release it? So I had a blog. Um, I would actually not have probably released this as my first book because I'm a, a big reader and I'm a, a big writer. And if I could do it differently, I would, but I got a book deal and it was the, the book deal that was on the table. So I came out with this blog called Text from Bennett in 2011. And it was text messages that my, my wannabe gangster white trash cousin would send me. And he's illiterate and, and he types like super funny uh, in, a, in a super illiterate kind of style. And I started posting them online and it got bigger than anything I ever did musically at that point. 
I had this video where I'm flipping pancakes and rapping. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I'm, I'm flipping pancakes and rapping. And then I have this text from Bennett thing and they both blew up at the same time. They were number one and two on the front page of Reddit at the same time. And then my pancake video is the biggest video on YouTube. And it kind of blew up this text from Bennett thing. And it's, I got a book deal um, from Simon and Schuster to write a book called text from Bennett, where I turned the text messages into this epistolary novel, which was like a novel pieced together with text messages. And there was some, some passages in it that I wrote. And that book came out and it was a bestseller and it got optioned by FX to be made into a TV show. They ended up shelving it, which was heartbreaking, but it, it is what it is. Um, but it was just one of those things where it's like, whatever, like this works. I made a lot of money off of it and it was fun. And I sat down one day joking around and made a, a joke Twitter account. And that ended up becoming almost a TV show. So that's how that's think about that. Imagine if I would have just said, that's a stupid idea. I'm not going to make that Twitter account. An entire okay. chapter of my life would have never happened. This is an argument for just doing the, the ideas you have, even if you think they're stupid, do it because sometimes they get through and sometimes they become way bigger than you ever imagined. I mean, yeah. so it was, a, it was a book. It was, uh, it took me a year to write um, and it came out and it did well. It's out of print now because the publisher kind of switched directions with the things they published. And it's, it's kind of an offensive book in certain parts. Um, but it was a good experience and I'd like to do another one. I'm in this, I got to get out of this book deal, but um, I mean, yeah, man, it was, it's, it's just one of those things. You just throw stuff at the wall and sometimes they stick and this one not only stuck, it like went through the wall. So, yeah. you know no, what I that, mean? That's crazy, man. It reminds me of, um, do you, are you familiar with, um, are you familiar with Andrew Doyle by any chance? I know the name. I don't think I know why I know the name though. Okay. What, remind me. Do you know um, a Twitter account called Titania McGrath? It's like a social, super social justice parody account. I think I've seen it. Okay. Yeah. Is it, it's like a joke, like a, like an SJW, like joking account. Yeah. So the, the okay. account is, it's like, it looks like, um, I think it's a computer generated image, but it's like a blonde woman with these glasses and okay. she just has the most ridiculous sort of social justice tweets. Anyway, um, uh, a friend of mine, he's a comedian, a British comedian named Andrew Doyle. He, I, I can say this now because people know who run the account, but he runs okay. that account and, you know, he's had a book deal and had two books published under her pseudonym, right? <laughs> so one of them is called Woke um, and the other one, and the other one is called, I think it's like um, a children's guide to social justice or something like that. And so, you know, he started that as a joke, you know, it was a joke Twitter account. And it grew to, you know, over half a million followers and it's getting, you know, it's, it's been so popular. And so it's kind of funny how something can just be like a, a silly idea you have and it ends up just becoming. He, he probably never even envisioned <laughs> that it would be that. He was probably like joking with his friends and said, I'm going to make this little joke Twitter account. And yeah. he thought maybe 13 people would see it. <laughs> it's just, it's weird how that type of stuff works. But it's an argument for why you should have a podcast and why you should write fitness books. Because, man, okay, you want to be a rapper. You, I want to be a rapper. We have this idea that I'm going to be a rapper. Mm -hmm. Eminem, you know, uh, Jay-Z, those are the things we think. Just a rapper who sells a lot of records and we're rappers. But then sometimes, man, it, it, rapping was the platform that took you to the big thing that you're going to end up doing. Like, I don't know if you follow Joe Budden. I don't watch the podcast, but I think it's amazing that Joe Budden went from this kind of 
failed rapper that never had a big success and then became this like monster podcaster to a degree. Mm. This is why you should buy all your crazy, stupid ideas because you never know. That's exactly why you have to write a fitness book and have a podcast and make text from Bidnit and Tatiana McGrath. Like you have to do these things because they will grow legs and go way further than you ever intended. Sometimes it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, where do you think it's all going in the future? I think we, we live in such a, it's such a, such a unique and interesting time. We're really at a total unique time in terms of human history. I mean, the fact that we can even do what we are doing right now, let alone the fact that we can put it on the internet and thousands of people can listen to it. I mean, this is almost witchcraft as far as I'm concerned. So, like, <laughs> you know, like if, if someone from the, the 19, even from the 1970s saw what we're doing right here, they'd just be like, wait, what's, you know, they'd be trying to touch the screen. Like, is this person in the room or? I would say you know. even the, like the mid 2000s, if we were saying we're going to be having conversations in real time where it's like you're watching my hand move in real time and it's not all pixelated and stuff. You know, you bring up an interesting point. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about being independent. One of the big things for me has always been envisioning the future and thinking about what this is all going to turn into. And it's the reason why I've taught myself photography and how to really understand how to operate a camera and understand ISO, aperture, white balance, how to compose an image, how to edit, use Lightroom, use Photoshop, use Final Cut. I think that what is going to happen is as we get further into the future, we're all going to be uh, become more and more self-sufficient because from a financial standpoint, it's not going to be practical to have 13 people on your staff and each person does a different job. It's where the, the, the entertainment bubble is separating into so many different tiny pieces. And, and it used to be these big channels, CNN and MTV and Home and Garden TV and whatever. And there used to be, they used to have these big networks that had millions, hundreds of millions of viewers. That's changing to where everybody can have their own niche thing that they like. The, the content that they follow is exactly specific to their interests. I love jujitsu. I love people that uh, make funny jujitsu memes. So on Instagram, I follow three or four Brazilian jujitsu meme accounts. That's very niche, but it's what I like. And we're to that point where you don't have to sit there and watch a television network and they decide the programming you watch. I mean, we're to the point where it's, it's just down to the last detail. Like I, uh, I am a, not a liberal. I'm not a, a conservative. I'm more of a centrist. So I like to listen to a lot of people that, that maybe go uh, in both directions with their ideas. I don't lean one way or the other. So I connect to a lot of people that are maybe more, I don't want to say free with their thinking because I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily the case, but I'm more in the middle of the spectrum with how I think and how I feel. So I connect with people like that. I think we're getting to this point where where creators are going to have their own audiences that they build and they feed. And look, you run your own podcast. You don't have a crew there. That's not a studio that you're operating the podcast out of. If you had a, a point where the f podcast was uh, sufficient enough where you maybe could hire on some help, you would do that. But at the end of the day, I think we're all running our own operations. And I've been ready for this for years. I've known that we were going to get to the point where just from a financial standpoint, if we want to make a comfortable living, we all need to be able to kind of operate and do these things on our own, run our own podcasts, publish our own books, record, mix, 
uh, master, produce, sell our own albums. Uh, I manage my own tours. I don't have a DJ when I get on stage. I mean, it's, it's all a one man show. And I think we're getting more and more to the point where you're just going to see, that's going to be the reality for a lot of people. It's, it's, we're all operating our own media conglomerates ourselves. Yeah, no, but I think, um, I think you're nailing. It. I mean, like I said, I mean, like you said, I mean, I think we're, we, we're already there and we've been there. I just think that not everyone is aware of it yet. You know, like I, th- I think we, I think we've been there for a while when you're seeing all these YouTubers and streamers and independent musicians and just people doing, you know, influencers even, you know, like people make fun of so-called influencers or whatever, but I'm like, well, there, those people are ahead of the curve, right? Everyone is going to be an influencer or a personal brand to some degree, shape or form, whether or not you like those words or not, that's up to you. But sure. we're kind of already there. Like if you have an Instagram account, you have a Twitter account, you have Facebook, whatever, people are seeing you, you do have a brand, people recognize your, your logo and your name and the kind of content you put out there and you've got your own following, whether it's you know 300 people or it's a million people. And one thing really interesting with the internet is like, it's really screwed up people's understanding of numbers. Like people, I'll get people who are like, man, I've got this tiny following and I'm, you know, trying to go, I'm like, oh, how many followers do you have? They're like, yeah, you know, like 11,000. And I'm like, have you ever seen 11,000 people? <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, like so, you know, have you ever seen 11,000 people? Or people will be like, oh, you know, my video flopped. It only got 50,000 views. And I'm like, 50,000, like, okay, say like everyone watched it twice. 25,000, like that's an arena. That's an, an arena. arena. <laughs> like, that's, I'm like, that is so many people. So, you know, when you say like, um, you know, even with your phone, like 3 million YouTube subscribers, like you yourself, probably maybe you don't even really sort of think that much of it. It's just like, yeah, 3 million, you know, there's people who have 30 million, but it's like, that's bigger than a lot of countries, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's 10, that's 10 times the population of Iceland. That's like, you know, you you know, like three, what's a country with 3 million? I don't know. Um, Um, I don't know. Three, three, it'd have to be a small one, right? Yeah, like, yeah. what's a super small country? How many does Estonia have? Is that three million? I, I think Estonia is more than that, I think. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, 10 times Iceland's popular. Anyway, it's a lot of people. <laughs> three, three million is a lot of people. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter that someone else has 30 million. It's like, that's, a, that's also, just a crazy number. I think that there are different there are different ways to interpret the numbers too. I totally agree with what you're saying. There's also, you know, People will also see, like, when I see a video that has, I do a video, there's one of my videos on Facebook has 70 million views. That's a lot of people. A lot of people have seen it. But then you also have to take into consideration what the content is and what effect do you think it had on those people. I could have 70 million views, but then I have songs that have 70,000 views, but I know that more people are deeply connected to the 70,000 view one. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's all about what you make it. I mean, you can run a perfectly viable, uh, healthy business off 5,000 followers. It just depends on what you do. Too many people are obsessed with getting the big numbers, but sometimes those numbers are empty. It's, they're not, it doesn't always translate into these diehard fans. And that's the big problem that we were talking about earlier. Like, it, 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 people are, are obsessed with the wrong thing. You, you can have this very healthy, financially profitable connection 
uh, with a small 5,000, 10,000 person follower base, if all of those people are actively spending money with you every year and they're actively engaged in your content, that's way more important than having a hundred billion gazillion views where, you know, it's, it's you and a cat uh, doing a skateboard trick and then no one's actually going to end up spending money on it. it it's, it's, really, it's really important that the content is the type of content that connects with people in here and makes yeah. them want to spend money with you for sure. Yeah, most definitely. I say, um, you know, it's the depth, not just the width, right? So people, <laughs> yeah. Right. So people are always going, you know, trying to get as many followers as possible or as many subscribers as possible, but it's like, okay, well, what's the depth of that relationship? Right. You know, is that someone who, if you're in the city, they might come to a, a gig or they might come to a meetup or a speaking event, whatever it is. Is that someone who might buy a t-shirt or buy it, buy an album or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. Um, and I think as artists, we know that not all fans are created equal, right? There's a big difference between a sort of, you know, very casual listener versus someone who is, you know, diehard, who wants to buy everything as soon as it comes out and wants to get everything signed and is, you know, hitting you up on the socials and, yep. you know, the, the people who, you know, by name where it's like, okay, yep. like, I, I know, I know <laughs> I who know. this guy is. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know who this person is. Yeah. Um, and I have people, I have fans that have my number that'll text me. Like I'll get a, a, like my, from number to number, like I have certain fans that I've just developed a friendship with over the years. And it's to a point where it's like, dude, just take my number, like shoot me a text and I'll hear from them randomly. It'll be one night and be like, Hey, uh, uh, this new video you did came out. And I was wondering like who did the beat on it or whatever. And I'll write them back and it'd be like, look, like it, it, it's all about those types of relationships. But if I have somebody that's been with me for 15 years and I know they're not crazy and they're cool and I can have a friendship with them, I'll, I'll do that. Like it's, it's, to me, it's all about connecting with the audience, like you said, with, a, with the great depth. I'd much rather have 50,000 fully engaged, like, because followers is such a, a, a misleading number, and, and it's, such a, it's such an overvalued statistic. I, people are way, way, way too enamored with the idea of having big followers when it should be about having meaningful followers. Yeah. Most definitely. But, you know, those those vanity metrics are hard to, you know, we all we all chase those numbers. Sometimes it's nice to be see, see those numbers going up and be like, OK, cool. Did um, you uh, did you get a lot of new fans um, when you did the Rogan podcast? Uh, yeah, I had a bump in everything. I had a bump yeah. in everything. Um, Me too. I don't know if it was the. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, I think that one created the biggest bump in numbers, but I think some of the other ones maybe perhaps maybe got actually a little bit more depth, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard to judge. It's hard to judge. Cause sure. that period I, I had a lot, um, sort of coming out at the same time. So it was a little bit difficult to say like, okay, this was caused by that or that was caused by that. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, just awesome having that opportunity there. You know, Joe's a great yeah. guy in terms of, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I got to do that in 2013 when he still had red band as a co-host. I was on the, the podcast and I remember, I remember feeling the same thing. I remember there was a bump and there's people that say they heard of me from the podcast, but then I also had a bunch of other stuff happening at the same time. So it was hard to gauge. So it's, it's, sorry, I was just, it, go ahead. You, I cut you off my bad. No, no worries at all, man. So I was going to, I was going to just ask you, I mean, what, what's next? What have you got in the pipeline? What have you got coming in rest of this year, 2021, anything particular people should know about? Yeah, man, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm always looking at the landscape uh, and the climate of everything that we're doing and trying to figure out where I think it's going and maybe try to figure out where I think it's not going. 
And there's a lot of people that are emerging on YouTube and Instagram, and there's a lot of content that is being made right now. But I've also, I I feel like there are certain things that people aren't doing. And there's a lot of people on YouTube right now, which is a big platform for me. And all they care about is what we've been talking about uh, for for the last little bit is, is they're more worried about getting as many views as possible. And, and, I think my direction that I'm going to start going in is really zeroing in. I have these massive followers, uh, this massive follower number on YouTube and Facebook, and I'm going to start trying to really zero in on connecting to the true fans. So I have two new albums coming out that I'm finishing up right now, and I'm going to start doing these kind of creative videos, music videos for them. and I might even uh, start doing a, a fast rap history series on TikTok. So that's something that I've been thinking about for the past couple of days. But new albums, um, new music, new videos, and I'm just going to continue being myself, man. It's, it's, I always try to see what people are doing, and then I try to maybe see if I can go in a different direction than that. Um, I found that that has provided me with a lot of success because everybody starts doing what works. So you're going to, everybody catches up to you. So then you got to kind of go left and go a different direction. So I'm about to take a big left and we'll see where that, what that means. I'm, I'm still trying to interpret the meaning of it, but I'm about to take kind of a sharp turn and go a different direction and maybe try to find some, some territory that nobody's found yet. Okay. Dope, man. Well, we'll be, we'll be looking forward to it, man. Um, where can people find you online? I know you're on everything. Is it just at Mac lethal on everything? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. YouTube, uh, Mac lethal. You can, uh, check me out on Apple music, iTunes, uh, Instagram, YouTube, just, just look me up. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, just, if, if you like what I had to say on Zuby's podcast, check me out. And I, hey, dude, I want to say thank you very much for the opportunity and letting me come on your show and congratulations on the book and on the Twitter success and obviously on the music. And, and I, I, I wish you nothing but creative luck in October when you go and cut your new album. Thank you so much, bro. I really appreciate it, man. And we will, Likewise, we will talk brother. soon. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. You too. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.